morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Praise God. We are so excited to be here with you guys today. Man, I got a good word for you. Man, every every week is a good is, is a good week, right? I'll tell you why it's always good. Not because it has anything to do with me or anything that we do here. It's simply God's word. And I believe that God's word is sufficient and capable to speak into your life and to enlighten you and give you truth, to bring you revelation. How many of us know that there's value to truth? Truth helps us. Truth enlightens us. Truth leads us in a different direction. It helps us to see what we're supposed to be doing. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series that we've entitled called True Lies. True Lies. And I know that it doesn't make sense, but what we're aiming for through this series is to expose some of the most common lies that we easily accept as the truth. And there is no such thing as a lie. There's no, there's no worse thing than the lie that we accept as truth. Because it always leads us down the wrong path. And so today, I'd like to talk to you uh, on the topic, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. You ever uh, feel that way? You ever think that way? I'm all alone. No one understands me. No one cares. I don't fit. You ever find yourself in a crowded room and felt all alone? Maybe, maybe that's your experience right now. Maybe you're joining us online and we're grateful to be there with you. But you're alone. Have you ever suffered from the loss of a marriage, maybe the loss of a close friend, a loved one, and you find yourself craving what you once had because you believe you're alone? Have you stepped out of the familiar and into the unknown with great excitement and faith for a new season, only to end up finding yourself wrestling with the feelings of loneliness? I think it's safe to say that you and I can identify with the feeling of loneliness. But here's the reality that in that loneliness, in those feelings of loneliness, many people make the mistake of confusing it for believing that they are alone. Let me take you to the word on this. Jeremiah 23 verses 23 and 24 says this, am I a God at hand? In other words, am I just God there when you need me? He says, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? See, when everyone that you hoped would stand with you is gone, when you are left to stand by yourself, you are never alone. You're never alone. And no matter where you find yourself and who is left and who's no longer around, God is still present with you. And the thing about it is this, that God is the only one that can give you what you're seeking from people, what you're seeking from camaraderie, what you're seeking from having a circle of, of people surrounding you. Listen, people come and go, thus feelings come and go, right? Those feelings of loneliness and happiness. If you only feel happy and fulfilled when you have people around you, let's be honest, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And so why not begin to learn and appreciate and understand a God who's always present, always near, and he loves you. And so in Genesis 28, verse 15, uh, we read that it says, Behold, I am with you 
and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, this is, this is a portion of scripture where God is speaking to a guy named Jacob, and Jacob is on the run, and he's alone. He's brokenhearted. He's disheartened. His brother wants to kill him. He's not with his family. He's in a, in a foreign land. And God reminds him of something. He says to him, you are not alone. I am with you. But why? Because I have made a promise to you. And Jesus upped the ante on that promise. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you until the end of the age. You need to understand something. Just because you feel lonely sometimes doesn't mean that God's done. And it certainly means this as well. You're not done. Mm. And so Jacob was a guy who sought what he could get out of people. He was a conniver. And, 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 and Jacob was seeking something, uh, was seeking what he could only get in the presence of God from people and things. But you know, there's something important that we have to understand here that you cannot find the promise that God has for your life in the presence of people. You cannot. And you will never be fulfilled in what you seek in people. Listen, I love my wife. Right, babe? Amen. You can tell she's around here somewhere. <laughs> love my wife. She loves me, but I, I'll tell you something that we're clear on. No matter how much we love each other, we will fail each other. We don't fulfill each other. Only God can do that. And so in the Bible, the, it gives us the life of, account of a guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet. And, pro and Elijah was a man who walked with the Lord. And he, he even went on to be raptured by God. You know, God used him greatly. This, this guy was in cahoots with God. He was in, like Flynn. I mean, he was connected. Everybody said, man, I just wish I could talk to God the way he talks to God. I wish God would move powerfully through my life like God does through his life. This man's life was characterized by the power and the presence of God with him, and he knew that God was present, and he saw his great power. But there came a point in his life when Elijah literally did a 180, and he ran in the opposite direction from all that God was doing in his life. The question is, why would Elijah run away? What we're going to see in a second is that Elijah believed that he was so alone that he could even run away from God. <laughs> what convinced Elijah that it was better to run from the call upon his life and forsake the power of God? At the very root of it was a deeply embedded belief that Elijah held that convinced him that he was alone. And I can tell you something from personal experience. Nobody wants to be alone. Nobody wants to live in loneliness. But there's something powerful that's available to you and I when we understand how near God is and that you are not alone. And so in 1 Kings 19, as we'll see in a second, we're going to find that Elijah was succumbing to the threats of a woman named Jezebel. This guy Elijah shows up and he, he brings correction to the 
king, uh, a guy named Ahab, and he says, Ahab, you're wrong. You're leading the people to worship uh, Baal. Uh, you're, you're trusting in all these false prophets. And so he brings correction, and then he calls out the, the, all the prophets of Baal, about 450 of them, and he says, let's see whose God is the true God. And he says, you, you, you present a sacrifice, and then I'll present one. And whose, whose, whosever God is the true and living God, he will rain down fire from heaven and consume the, the sacrifice. And so the, the prophets of Baal attempt to do that and nothing happens. It doesn't work. These guys went to great extent to cut themselves, all kinds of stuff to try and make their God do something. And then Elijah, the Bible says he prays and fire comes down from heaven. And Elijah says, round up all these false prophets and he kills them all. He kills them all. Hollywood's got nothing on the Bible, man. There's some serious stuff in there. But check this out. So Elijah embarrasses Jezebel, the queen, who was the one that led Ahab in this direction and by default ended up leading the people of Israel. Jeze um, uh, Elijah completely obliterated all the prophets. And so the Bible says that Jezebel sends a threat to Elijah. She says, tell Elijah that I'm going to do worse than what he did to the prophets before the end of today. And so Elijah, he hightails it, he takes off, he's running, and instead of facing her with the power of God like he did with the prophets of Baal, Elijah ran. Let's see what happened. 1 Kings 19 verses 3 through 18 says this, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom, bu uh, a broom bush. Uh, he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. And he was strengthened by the food. He, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. Listen to Elijah's response. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Hmm. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want you to see that Elijah was not alone, but he was succumbing to the belief that he was. And he replied, listen again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put the prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. In other words, go back to where I placed you to begin with. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who will escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. And so get this, upon hearing Je Jezebel's threats, we find that Elijah doesn't just run. Watch what the scripture says. Elijah leaves everything and everyone. He took no provisions. He forsook all the support to the ministry that he had when he left his assistant in Beersheba in Judah. And he had no direction. All he had was a desire to run as fast and as far as he could, and he ran into the embrace of a belief that told him not only that he was alone, but left him feeling lonely. And despite the fact that he did all this, he left all in haste, the one person he could not leave, even if he wanted to, was God. Can I tell you, you ever seen a Wile E. Coyote? Some of you don't remember Wiley Coyote. You, you might remember, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> Wiley Coyote, man, he used to wind his legs up and he'd take off, right? Nobody could catch him. Not Wiley Coyote, the, the roadrunner. Not the Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote can never catch up to the roadrunner. Anyway, roadrunner would take off, he'd never catch him. You know, you can run, no matter how fast, no matter how far you run, you can't outrun God. But... What's interesting about Elijah's predicament is that while he had left it all, he had all he needed because God was still with him. And yet when God confronts him about being in the wrong place, Elijah's response is, man, I've been serving you all these years. I've, I've been so zealous for you. I've done everything you've called me to and everything around me is going haywire. Everything's going wrong and there's no one left in all Israel that believes the message you gave me. Everybody's forsaken it. There's no prophets. There's no one that loves you and serves you. It's just me. Just kill me, God. Elijah believed he was alone while being with God. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe you're alone? Are you basing your stance in life upon the people that are around you? You're not alone. But are you aware? Are you aware of God? See, from Elijah's story, what we see is the negative impacts of buying into the lie that we're alone. You forsake what God has called you to. Elijah cut all ties. He says, man, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to run. I, I just want to die. But he believed that he was alone. And when you believe you're alone, you forsake what God has called you to. You let go of the promises of God. You forget what God started in you. 
Last time I checked, the scripture says that he is faithful to complete the good work that he has started in you until the day of Jesus Christ. You're not done. God's not done. You're not alone. Another negative impact of when you believe you're alone is you forsake your support team. Elijah got rid of his right-hand man. Elijah bought into the lie that he was alone to such an extent that he could not see that there were 7,000 people in Israel that would not bow down to Baal and refuse to worship another God that stood for what they believed in. He forsook his support team. You, you know, you'll do that too when you believe you're alone. You ever felt lonely and had somebody come to help you? You go, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> You know what else is a negative impact of buying to the lie that we're alone? You forsake your fight. Get this. Elijah just had a mountaintop experience with God. He prayed and God answered. That can happen for you too. He's as close as the, as, as, as the mentioning of his name. So Elijah just had this mountaintop experience and then he gets a threat from little old Jezebel and he hightails it. He believes that he's defeated, that he's going to die, that it's not worth going on. He gave up his, his willingness to fight, to stand, to trust, to believe in God. I'm telling you that when you buy into the lie that you are alone and you forsake the presence of God, not that he forsakes you, but you believe that he's not there while he's still there. You lose your willingness to stand again. Another negative impact of buying into the lie that we are alone is that you forsake your ability to hear God. God has not stopped speaking. God is not silent. I'll prove it to you. You have the living word of God by which he teaches you, he reproves you, he corrects you, he instructs you, and he, te and he leads you into all righteousness, and he equips you for every good work. That's what the scripture says. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He said, I have not left you orphans. I'm with you. But you know, it wasn't until Elijah realized that he wasn't alone that he was able to hear and receive God's direction and go back to where he belonged. So for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you four simple things to consider about keys to overcoming loneliness. And you might not feel lonely now, but I will tell you this, it happens to all of us happens to all of us. The first thing I want to encourage you with is that loneliness does not come from a lack of company. Loneliness comes from a lack of awareness. I'm going to say that again. Loneliness does not come from a lack of company. Loneliness comes from a lack of awareness. Awareness of what? I mean, I've said this again and again, and I'm going to say it again. The truth is you are never alone. The question is, are you aware of God? Are you aware? In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12, uh, I'm reading it from the message uh, version. Uh, it says, God, investigate my life. This is David talking to God. He says, God, investigate my life. 
Get all the facts firsthand as if God didn't know them already. He says, I'm an open book to you, even from a distance. You know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and you know when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I cannot take it all in. Is there any place that I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. And then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Now watch why. Because God refuses to leave you. Because he loves you. Because he's faithful. No matter how alone you feel or how far you go, you go into your own place of solitude, you are not alone. I love what David says in this psalm. He says, even if I go underground, you're there. If I flew as far as the western horizon as possible, you're there. He says, God, you're already there when I get there. You're with me on the road. You're, you're with me in my past. You're with me in my present. And God, you're always here. Now, I want to show you something. That Elijah was walking with God the whole time. But he was so consumed by his fear and his own ideas and beliefs that he was alone that he couldn't hear God. That's a sad place to be in. Can I just take a little rabbit hole for a moment here, rabbit trail? It's very possible that there's someone here today and maybe you're joining us online. And you can identify with this idea of, man, I've, I, I, I get that. Yeah, I've felt alone. I've been alone. I, I feel alone. You, you may be thriving in your career, man. You may be the apple of your wife's eye. You may have friends, but no matter where you are, no matter where you go, you feel alone. At the end of the day, when it's just you and your thoughts and the lights are out and nobody's there, you really believe that you're alone, you're unsatisfied, you're unfulfilled, you're struggling, you're faking it to make it, but you're not going anywhere. And if you can identify with that, then here's what you can also identify with, the truth that you're hearing right now. I need something more than what I've been leaning upon to fulfill my life. Here's what it tells you and me. We need a continual awareness of God. He's always been whispering. Maybe you've just turned the volume up on everything in your life. So no matter how dark it is in, for you in your loneliness, God sees you there. You're not hidden from him. He's there with you. 
You might be saying at this moment, well, how come I don't feel him? How come I can't hear him? How come I, I still feel alone? I submit to you that it's because you're unaware of what God is doing right now. Even right now. He's speaking to you. Elijah, what are you doing there? Elijah didn't just go into a cave. Elijah went into the depths of his own loneliness. And God says, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? You don't belong there. I'm here with you. Let me show you. Come out onto this mountaintop and let me show you my promise. In Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, God says, I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets lo the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You know who are the rebellious? The ones who say, I'm good alone. I don't need you, God. But he needs you, and thus he still reaches out to you even now. You know, we, we just got back from a uh, men's camp out. We went away for a couple of days of camping out. Um, and it's interesting watching men relate. The first day, you know, guys, some guys know each other, you know. But, you know, us guys, we, 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 we're fluffy. Let me tell you what I mean. We fluff stuff, right? We, we go surface level, right? What's up, my man? Oh, man, I love you, bro. And we're good with that. How you doing? I'm great. How, how you been? Oh, I'm going through some stuff. You know, God's got me. <laughs> I remember a story I heard many years ago. I'm sure I've shared it here at some point. Guy drowning in the middle of an ocean. Can't swim. He says, God, help me. The helicopter shows up, and this guy, they, they throw him down a rope, and the Coast Guard's coming out. He goes, no, 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 leave me. I'm waiting for God. Helicopter leaves. It's a messed up Coast Guard. <laughs> Helicopter leaves. A boat comes by, a tugboat. Burr, burr. They throw a buoy. They start to, he goes, no, get off me. Leave me. I'm waiting for God. They leave. A guy in a kayak or something you know, comes by and he's like, hey, I got you. He goes, no, no, get off me. I'm waiting for God. And the guy dies. Finds himself before God. He says, God, why did you leave me there? You said you would never leave me. You would never forsake me. You're always with me. And yet you let me drown. And he says, well, what do you think the helicopter was for? What do you think the tugboat was for? What do you think the guy in the kayak was for? Why do you think you're sitting amongst people right here, right now? I'm going to read Psalm 68 again to you. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Listen, God is interested in you. When you feel fatherless, God says, I'm still your father. There's some of us that we've lost a father and we've said, I don't have a father. Don't buy that lie. You may have lost your earthly father, but your heavenly father is still with you. He's still building you. He's still encouraging you. He's still healing your heart. 
He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows, of the helpless. And he's in his dwelling place among you. God sets the lonely in families. God has brought you to your family. God is right here with you. Just look around you. Look around you. The second thing I want to leave you with here is that oftentimes what we call loneliness is really a mask for our emptiness. Oftentimes what we call loneliness is really a mask for our emptiness. Listen, despite the fact that God brought about a great victory through Elijah and with Elijah before he took off running, Elijah had an unresolved issue in his heart. We see it in the scripture. He believed that all Israel had forsaken God. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's an important point. Because he was the messenger that God used. He was the deliverer of the message. So he says, man, I've preached my heart out, God. I've given them your word. And everyone has turned away. No one wants to be in covenant with you. They're all pursuing Baal. It's just me. Let me die, God. I failed. What's the point? And we find him running and retreating into his own loneliness. You see, Elijah believed that what God had done and what God had promised was incomplete. And as a result, Elijah not only left empty-handed when he took off on the run, he also left empty of his trust in God. So I want to encourage you with something in light of this point that we're touching on right here. And it's this, that when you bury the pain that drives your loneliness, you only strengthen its roots. I'm going to say that again. When you bury the pain that drives your loneliness, you only strengthen its roots. You're growing something that you don't need. It's not good seed. You're burying your pain. You're burying. But what you're doing is, see, pain is the symptom, but what is it that you're burying deep? You know, I thank God, man. My prayer this, this, this weekend when we went away with the men was, God, help us to go deep. The Bible says that as deep cries out to deep, right, that, 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 that that's how God works, that, that, that God meets us there in the, under the roar of the waterfall and all that, that God's working there. He's speaking to us there. And, and listen, you gotta, you gotta go deeper with God. You gotta let God go into those crevices. You can, you can say, God, not there, but while you're holding on to that, what you're doing is growing something that will destroy your life. Instead of growing a tree, you're growing a weed that's sucking the life and the heart belief out of you. Job was a guy like that, you know that? Everything went wrong in his life. He blamed God. <laughs> I'll show you in a second why he shouldn't have blamed God. But in the midst of that, he's in a conversation with some guys that came, some friends that come to sit with him. And Job really didn't want these guys there. But one of them says this to him in Job 15, 31 and 32. He says, let him not trust in emptiness, deceiving himself, for emptiness will be his payment. It will be paid in full before his time and his branch 
will not be green. Job is here saying, man, I've been righteous before God. I've done nothing wrong, and here I am all alone. I've lost my family. I've lost my livestock. I've lost my wealth. I've lost my home. It's all gone wrong. And his friend says to him, you're trusting in emptiness. There are many who believe that God allowed all this calamity in Job's life to teach him something. That God initiated this. But you got to read Job with the right understanding in light of what Christ has done. You got to understand the nature of God. In Job 1, it says that God declared that Job was righteous above all men in his sight. But in Job 3, this righteous man who loved the Lord, it says... Now, this is after everything has gone haywire, right? The devil's brought in great destruction into his life. The Bible says that he, he declares, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. Now, you've got to understand this. If he's righteous and he's good with God and God has provided for him, why would he have a need to have a fear that drives him in contradiction to everything that God has said to him? God didn't open that door. Job opened that door. Job opened it. Job chose it. He put his trust in his fears. And you can see that in the scripture it says that he presented offering sacrifices daily just in case his kids dropped the ball. He was worried. Worried for what? He was right with God, and God was good to him. You see, Job put his trust in emptiness, in fears. Fears that opposed what God had told him and what God was doing in his life. And listen, God can't do anything for you when it's what you've chosen. He'll speak to you. He'll give you direction. But you have to do something with it. See, the antidote to your loneliness is to cut off the root of your emptiness. The antidote to your loneliness is, the, is to cut off the root of your emptiness. For some of us, if we, if we could just be honest, it's pride. We just want to be at the center of attention. And when we don't have people praising us, we feel empty. So what's the root there? The root is you love yourself more than you love God. You love yourself more than the people that you profess to be a friend to. That's an empty area. That'll bring destruction and havoc into your life. The next thing I want to leave you with here is that what you do when you feel alone can either snare you or prepare you. Being alone isn't a bad thing if you can discover the potential that exists in those seasons. The best example that I can come up with for this, and then I'll take you to scripture, is from my days as a single. Before I met my wife, um, 
I was young, man, but you know, I, I just I got into a place that I was just tired. I saw a lot of the, it was just fake. You know, the people say, oh, you're my man. You know, I love you. You know, the people, the parties, the money, the things. It was just all empty. And I, and, and I saw the direction that my life was going in, and I didn't like it. And for a long time, I felt like I was out of control. And then I said, I'm just going to just cut everything off. I'm just going to pull away. What I didn't realize is that in that season, God was working in my life. And at that moment, God brought my wife into my life. And he brought me back to the very thing that I had turned away from from my early years as a teenager. It was God's love for me. And so, see, I was bitter, I was disappointed, and I was hurting. And I wasn't realizing what God was doing. And, and, I, and, I'll say, and I'll share this in the context, not just of loneliness, but let me speak to you singles for a moment. And... In, in your season of singleness, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in, man, I just wish I had somebody to just take me out to eat. <laughs> I somebody to just watch a movie with and, you know, cuddle and I hear you. I, I get it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35. I would like you to be free from concern. Listen to this. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs, about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the, affair, about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, when you're single, sometimes you can look at it as a negative. And what you forsake is the positive impact that God wants to make in your life. It's a place of preparation. Listen, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. What we're trying to do is get love from somebody else and then include God in the mix. You've got the equation backwards. It does not work that way. Why not find out who is the one that loves you and really get to know what love is so that you can truly love someone the way God intended it. And you can find the right one for your own life. That was free. We'll move along. The last thing that I want to leave you with here today is this. The, lonely in, the loneliest place in life is being surrounded by the wrong people. I'm going to say that again. The loneliest place in life is being surrounded by the wrong people. I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's the reason why I always was in the clubs. It was, in the, it was the reason why I was always hanging around with all these different people. It was the reason why I just felt the need to go to the club from, Friday, from Thursday. Thursday was Latin quarters. Friday. I'm going to bore you with all those details. But there, I had a routine, right? It was like four or five clubs, and we parted from Thursday all the way to Sunday. 
Actually, no, yeah, till Sunday. And then Monday was a wreck. And I did that for a long time, and it was lonely, man. It was hard. But I felt like I was, my life was full because I had all these people around me, and everybody was happy, and everybody was drinking, and everybody was having a great time, and everybody was just smiling, and everybody gave you a hug. They were drunk. They didn't know what they were doing. I'm just reminding myself of that, not, not you. But listen, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. But I've discovered that the worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel alone. They're the wrong people. It is absolutely impossible to be alone in life. It's not possible. Unless you live in a bubble and you're somewhere where nobody can reach you, nobody can touch, and, and you can exist in that bubble. Listen, we cannot be alone. The truth is that if you struggle with the belief that you are alone, it's probably because you're around the wrong people. And you don't fit with them. Listen to Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, before you start looking for that person, just realize he's with you. God. Always faithful. Always true. Always loving. Man, that's God. I dare you to ask your friends for a resume on why they qualify, why they qualify to be your friend and match it up against God. It does not compare. You don't need an influx of friends. What you need is God and people that will stick with you closer than your brother. Listen. Your brother sticks around because he has to. <laughs> but God, he sticks around because he wants to. Proverbs 15, 7, as we stand here and come to a close, says this, Better is, din is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. There are people that we allow at the table of our life. And they appear full. They appear like they got it all together. They appear like they add something to our lives. The Bible calls that the fattened ox. It's full. But within, at its core, it's hatred. It's selfishness. It's about me. It's not about we. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about me and what I want and what I can get out of you. But there's a dinner. There's a place at the table that's better. It might appear small. It might appear insignificant. But at its core is love. Genuine love. My friends... I say this to you today, you are not alone. 
because love came down in the form of a man and died and paid the price for all mankind. Not just for you, believer, for everyone. The greatest lie ever told and believed is the one that says that God is still mad at the world. That God is judging people based on their actions. No, God will judge people in the day of judgment based upon their rejection of Jesus Christ. Let me translate that for you. People will go to hell, not because of what they did. They will go to hell because they said, God, I don't need your love. I don't need you. I'm good alone. And I believe that right here, right now, what God's doing is reaching into our hearts and he's reminding us, I'm with you. It's going to be okay. I'm faithful. Just stick with me. Because I'm sticking closer than your own, than your own brother. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am always faithful. Count on my word. And it's possible that there's someone here today and you don't, you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you, you've gone to church, but it just never meant anything. It was just something to do, to feel better about yourself. Maybe you don't believe in God at all, but today you identify with the reality that, man, life has been lonely. And anything and everything that I filled it with has left me empty. You need God. And so today, if you believe this, that God is speaking to you, that God loves you, that God doesn't want you to live in loneliness, but he wants you to live in a thriving relationship with him. And he wants to bring the right people that fit into your life. You believe that. You believe that God's talking to you, and you need to know this. Here's the truth. You don't owe anything to God. You don't owe him anything. He paid the price for all sin and died the death that was ours to pay as a penalty and rose again so that we would have the open door to rise daily, forgiven, loved, righteous, holy, and a new life. If you believe that with us, then pray that with us as we come to a close. You say, Jesus, I believe, Jesus, I believe. you love me. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. And so today I accept you. I love you. I call you my Lord and Savior. I trust you as my God. And from this day forward, I'm walking on this journey with you. And I know you have the best in store. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.